Welcome to the Writer Dojo. Your host, Steve Diamond. Stravs Twipe. And Larry Korea. Stravs Twipe. Today's episode, Convention Round 2. We're not sure if we said that right, but hey. That's hello, hello in Ukrainian. Yep. You yeah. know what's up. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Um, Larry and I are really happy to be back with you again. Our, our last episode, we talked about attending conventions because um, I'd just been to one, had had a had some pretty interesting experiences, and had some things some things phrased to me in really interesting ways that that I really wanted to bring up. Um, but there's the other side to this, and yeah. that's uh, what happens when you actually start becoming someone, and you're invited to a convention. Yep. So our first episode, we talk about when you're the starter Pokemon, mm-hmm. you're the little cute fat Pokemon where you're just starting out and you're just going along here, happy as can be. Then you get to your mid-level Pokemon. Yep. You've evolved once. You've evolved once. Now you're a little scarier. Yeah. Well, this is when you actually get invited to go to cons as an attending professional. Uh, this is where you are actually a guest of the event. And this is when now you are on panels. And we know a lot of people who've made this jump because you don't really actually have to do much to get invited to be on a panel. No. Not really, no. And, and we're going to talk about that yeah. specifically. Um, and so what happens is people uh, don't know how to conduct themselves at cons. And now I've worked with a lot of cons. I've been a guest at a ton of cons over the years. And inevitably, if you're a good guest, which I am, I've actually got a really good reputation as a con guest almost everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I get invited back a lot um, to most events because I actually am really an easygoing guest. Like Origins? <laughs> then there's some cons that uh, you salt the earth Sucka. and never to be seen again. Um, Sorry, I had to. No, 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 no. So that's a long story. That's a totally different story. But um, so what happens is when you go to these things, there are some guests that are horrible. And everybody, if you're a good guest, you will hear all the horror stories of the bad guests who have come before you. Oh, it, believe me. If, if you think that your reputation as a good guest will will garner attention and stuff like, like I have, a, I have an extremely, uh, and I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. Um, I have an extremely, extremely good and high reputation for being a moderator. Yeah. Steve actually has one of the best reputations as a moderator, uh, for cons, as far as anybody I've ever heard of, you've yeah. probably moderated more panels, uh, in science fiction, fantasy and writing cons than Probably anyone. Oh gosh, ever. The, <laughs> well, just two year, two back to back years at Gen Con, um, back before we we stopped going and then it completely died because uh, of COVID and stuff. I think I moderated fifteen or twenty panels over cr- across two years. Steve also was the it's guy too that if the other moderator dropped the ball, they'd run and go get him at the last possible second. Yeah, or if I got to the panel and the moderator um, didn't know actually what to do. I would just naturally pick up and start asking questions. And then they would write me a little note and pass it over to me and say, can you just moderate the rest of the panel? And I'd say, yes, that yeah. happened. That happened at Worldcon in 2013. Yeah. The Steve gets that a lot. So that's part of being a good guest. And so let's talk about being a panelist and what mm-hmm. this means. And I want to start off the, some great career advice I got from Tony Weisskopf. I was going to say, I was going to ask you this because, um, oh gosh, several years ago you and I were talking and, and you made some offhand comment that, Tony gave you the con talk. Yeah. So we call it as Tony's con talk. Um, and basically when she has writers start out with her and they're going around the country to these different events to promote themselves, promote their work, uh, get their name out there and hopefully sell some books. Um, Tony tries to get them a little tuned up in advance and she'll mm-hmm. explain a, f- a few things about how to conduct yourself. 
And the way she says this is there's four types of authors. Let's see if I can get this right. There's authors who should promote themselves more and don't. Mm -hmm. There's authors who should promote themselves more and do. Mm -hmm. There's authors who should not promote themselves more and don't. And there's authors who should not promote themselves more but do. Yeah, that's the that's the bad quadrant. That's yeah. the really bad quadrant. So what happens, what, what you mean by this is some people do really well in public and they have a personality that's magnetic or they're charismatic enough they can have conversations with people and be fun. I actually, I think that's really helped me in my career because I'm actually, I do good at these things. I enjoy people. I enjoy, mm -hmm. I'm, an, I'm an extrovert. Uh, I'm, a, I'm just a happy, fun guy, usually at events, unless they're out to murder me and there's like a witch hunt and they have poor forks and pitchforks. Speaking of Worldcon torches, in 2011. Speaking of Worldcon. But, um, but most places I just go and I have a great time. So I'm one of those guys who should promote more and does. Mm -hmm. However, we also have some writers that are basically the kiss of death. Oh my gosh. Um, where if, and this is nothing against you personally, you just are who you are. But if your personality is a death knell time suck, <laughs> you are that guy. Oh, dude, I remember being on a, I think it was a horror panel with you. It was me, you, who else was on there? Was Lee on it? Someone was on it. And then there was this girl on it. I don't even remember whose name it was. Uh, well, it's probably good if it's bad, we shouldn't say well, it. Well, no, and I was going <laughs> to say, even if I didn't remember, I wouldn't say it. But anyway, I remember we, you know, you, you sit on a panel and effectively what happens is, is a moderator, assuming they're decent at their job, will ask a question to the panelists. Um, hopefully you, you have a microphone in front of you, otherwise you talk really loud and lose your voice like I almost did this week, this last weekend. Um, or, you know, the dreaded, you, you're passing the mic to each other moment, right? But anytime it went to her, first of all, she'd never written anything at oh, all. And, yeah. but, but some people know people and they end up on panels anyway. Um, like in our previous episode, you've gone, you've gone to enough panel, you've gone to enough conventions and enough panels to where you think that you've learned enough to be, to, to be espousing advice, which is false. Right. Um, but you know, it would go to her, she would say these things. And, and, and I, from what I, from what I recall, I actually thought she was a, a really nice person. Um, I just thought her advice just wasn't good because she didn't have any knowledge to base it on talking about horror. I mean. Larry and I know more about horror and talk more about horror from an educated standpoint than, than most people do. You more than me. Me more than you. You're from very different angles. Yeah. You're more from the action-y standpoint, the proactive heroes within a horror story. You're more straight, traditional And I'm more horror. like, let's murder everything. Yeah. Um, again, going back to that last, that last episode where I didn't get into the anthology called Fantastic Hope. <laughs> Shocker. Woo! <laughs> so, um, sorry, Laurel. I wish I could have written you a better better story my bad um anywho so anytime it went to her she would start talking and talking and talking and talking and, talking and she would get really quiet and really quiet and really quiet oh. you remember this one and and then like the whole room would die and you gotta understand um i, I think lee was on it because because the room was pretty packed between larry and lee there's Lee's a awesome. lot of people there lee modison lee, sorry lee, yeah lee modison jr he's Fantastic. an amazing author one of our, one of our favorite con people ever. And so it finally, you know, the thing would get passed to me and, I'm, and, and, and I'm just struggling like, oh my gosh, like I'm talking about my favorite subject, but <laughs> like, this is work right now. I've got to, you know, this is like when the, 
when the opening opening band to a concert just sucks. Have you ever? And then seen... the opening band has to like has to like re re liven the whole crowd for the main act, which was Larry in this case. Have you seen what we do in the shadows? Yeah, Colin Robinson. Yeah, the energy vampire. Yeah, that's exactly what she was. She was totally the energy vampire. And you know, so I would do it, and then I give it to Larry, and Larry would get the crowd, and everyone's like, "Yeah, all right." And then it go back to her. And the crowd would die again. <laughs> so I, I, I don't even know what my point here is, is that other than, look, you're going to be on, um, you're going to be on panels with these people. Um, hopefully you're not that person. Yeah. If you are that person, be brave enough to walk up to some of the, the big dog authors who people seem to like after a panel it's okay to ask them advice on how to be a good panelist. Yep. Actually, this goes directly into the second part of Tony's talk. Okay. Um, on Tony's con talk, she says that, I'm trying to remember how she phrases this here. Okay. She says, know your place in the ecosystem. Okay. <laughs> so basically, you know, you're a bunch of animals around the watering hole, right? If you're a little tiny, you know, little tiny baboon. Okay. That's, that's great and all. You know, be proud of your baboonhood. But if there's a, a an elephant there, yeah. you recognize that elephant is an elephant. Mm -hmm. But also as a baboon, you don't have to take any crap off that squirrel. Okay. Right. So right. basically what she means is like, know your place on the panel. So if you go onto the panel and let's say you've written two books yeah. and you have another one under contract. And so you have your career, or, you know, or you've sold... You sold your first hundred thousand indie books or whatever. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. You, you got a career going. You're doing good. Okay. You're doing good, yeah, right? you're doing good. But you're on the panel with, say, David Weber? Yeah, sorry. David Weber wins. David Weber wins. And plus, David Weber will also talk a lot. I was going to say, and if... David talks a lot. Uh, panels, I was going to say, just just let him talk. Yeah, but so if, you, if you're on the panel with Lee Modisette, you recognize that Lee Modisette is the... He's the elder water buffalo at that, at that mm -hmm. pond. Okay. Everyone else makes space around him. <laughs> you know, they, they let him get his water first. You know? <laughs> uh and then, so basically, but also, but then know your place, but then you don't have to take crap off somebody. On, when I say take crap off, because there are disagreements on panel, but if you have somebody who is brand new and has done nothing, and like in the case of Steve talked about the energy vampire, if you're on a panel with someone who's done nothing and they're, they're trying to like ride rough shot of you, you don't have to put up with that. No. I mean, you need to be respectful too. When I say the elephant or whatever, but if you're on a panel and let's say you've been doing this for a year or two, but you're on a panel with Terry Brooks. Mm-hmm. Been Shut there. up. I was going to say. <laughs> He's Terry Brooks. Yeah, I was going to say, been there, done that. He's, Terry's been doing this since the 1970s. Yeah. Odds are the people in the audience are there to see Terry, not you. He, he sold more books than you should ever dream about selling. Yep. So you got to kind of recognize your place and, mm -hmm. and, you know, you don't need to be a pushover, but you also need to recognize your place, who the audience is there to listen to and be respectful of that. Yeah. I remember, um, it wasn't a panel, but I, I went to dinner with a bunch of authors up at a a convention up in Missoula, Montana, a uh, Miss Con, one of my, one of my favorite cons. I haven't been back in a long time. In fact, I was having a conversation about this with someone, um, on the page, uh, in the Monster Hunter page. And they were telling me that they knew some of the people and that, um, but anywho, love that convention. Missoula's awesome. Montana's a gorgeous state in the summer, not in the winter. And, um, anywho, I went to this dinner at this dinner, um, was, uh, Todd Lockwood, one of the most famous fantasy artists of all time, Christopher Paolini. Yep. Um, 
very, know, very successful ex- author. Insanely successful. Young age. Super great guy. Nice guy. Really Super nice great guy. guy. Um, I think Kevin Anderson was at that one. Um, everyone knows who freaking Kevin J. Anderson is at this point. Um, cause you know, Dune and Star Wars. <laughs> Pat Rothfuss was there. And I think Jim Butcher was there. Wow. That's quite a few. That years. was an insane, an insane table. So what did I do? Shut I sat up. there, I ate my hamburger, <laughs> I smiled and laughed at when, when time was appropriate, and I spoke with Christopher Paolini's sister <laughs> because she was really nice and we both spoke Spanish. Well, there you go. Um, and, but I, you know, I ended up talking with Chris quite a bit, actually. He's a really nice guy. Super, super nice guy. I've wound up being around him at like two cons now, and yeah. I actually, I'm really impressed by him. I mean, He's a nice guy. talk about a guy who, I mean... I'll sound like Chris Collinsworth from you Monday Night Football fans. Here's a guy who, <clears throat> sorry, here's a guy who, uh, you know, has has sold millions upon millions of books. Sold millions of books when he was 16. And when he was young, young. Yeah. However, is not opposed to rolling up his sleeves and putting in sales work at a convention. Yeah. That was one of the things that impressed me. The and most he's writing him. science fiction and now. He's writing science fiction. Smart man. Yep. So anywho, you never know, even as a professional, who you're going to meet up with, whether on panels or you'll get invited to a dinner after panels or whatever. And like Larry said, know your place. There's, um, I was going to, there's, on that too is like, there's things about being a good guest. Uh, like I just got a, I got an email today. I'm the guest of honor at FenCon this year in Dallas. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they invited me to be cool. guest and I got an email from them saying that we haven't heard back from you. Cause I think apparently I missed the first email oh. uh, and I got to get them. Uh, I just saw that before I came to talk, uh, here tonight to record with you, I saw that I owe them a bio and a headshot. Oh. So I need to get on that. See, so as a guest, I need to be responsive, responsive to these guys when they have needs. Um, and that's totally my fault. I must've missed the previous one. So I'll get that to them tomorrow. Um, when you go, don't be super demanding because these things are run by volunteers Yep. and you get to know the volunteers and they put in a lot of work. Yeah, and if you're a jerk to volunteers, you are the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. You suck. Don't do that. I, I've heard so many horror stories. Writers, you oh. roll up to a place. I've been on the receiving end of that. Our oh. local con. Because I did, I did all the the writing track one year for it. Well, I that's put it all together. Right. You were and the I did scheduler, the, and I did the same thing for the last year that World Horror existed. That con, and I had authors come up and just not at World Horror. Actually, World Horror, everyone there were complete freaking angels. Because much like metal music, yeah, you go to a metal concert and everyone's awesome. It's the same way with horror authors. Everyone's seriously, awesome. Seriously, you go to Celine Dion, you're getting stabbed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Rough crowd. Um, so. You, don't be that author that starts offending people because you know what, you know what happens next? This world is a lot smaller than you think it is. And yeah. word travels. And there's prima donnas yeah. demanding, I need this, I need that, I need it. And like for me, my demands are, I'd really like some Coke Zero around somewhere and I'll, and don't schedule me nonstop so I can have a break in the middle to eat food. I'm a yeah. large mammal. I need calories. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When, when we come back, we're going to delve a little bit more into um, um, more of Tony's talk. Does she have more points? Those are the two ones. Those okay. are the two big ones. Know your know your place in the All ecosystem right. and the four types of authors. Uh, well, I could talk a little bit more because she's got she had she had some funny stories. Okay, so we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about some of the other things that we've learned um, from either doing it ourselves or from seeing other people 
fail miserably or um, or succeed wildly. Oh, so we'll I can tell you about my table flip one. Ooh, nice. We'll be right back. A cracking good story idea requires five critical elements. Until you have all five, you'll struggle to plot. You'll write a few scenes and run out of gas. You'll feel like the story isn't going anywhere. And that's because it isn't. It can't. A story won't do what it needs to do without all five elements. However, once you have these critical elements, your story will suddenly roar to life. In Create Story Ideas That Beg to Be Written, award-winning author John D. Brown reveals what those five elements are and the secrets to developing them. Save yourself years of trying to figure things out on your own. You can develop terrific story ideas on purpose instead of on accident. All you need are some simple, practical insights, and you'll find them in Create Story Ideas That Beg to Be Written. Don't wait another minute. Learn the secrets and become a story idea machine today. Available on Amazon. Pick up your copy today. All right, welcome back. Now, Larry, there there are there are times at panels when when you know your place, okay. And sometimes you have to exert and uh, and impress upon people your dominance. <laughs> yep. I, I know exactly what, what we're going, what, which story this is. So, uh, going back to what Tony Weisskopf said about knowing your place, when you are on a panel and you're on a panel with, uh, let's say that you're on a urban fantasy panel mm-hmm. and one of the people on the urban fantasy panel is me who okay. is, uh, pretty darn successful in it. You've, you've written a book or two in urban yeah, fantasy. Yeah, I've done okay. I mean, there's probably, there's a, there's a few people who've done a few more, but you know, sure. but I'm, I'm up there pretty high in this genre overall. Mm-hmm. And then um, on the panel, we had a couple other people and who were kind of like in the middle. Then we had this one woman who had written one book who sold probably like, you know, seven or eight copies. Was it an actual book or was it an academic like paper? Ah, uh, I don't even know. I think it was actually a book. Oh, okay. Well, that's better than some. But was, I think it was also self-published. No uh, offense to self-publishing people. But no, but at the time when this happened. This was a little while ago. Yeah. All, but I'm just assuming she was self-published, but I'm just saying she didn't hold hardly any copies. But the problem was she was a professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was an academic and the, the topic was urban fantasy. We had this room and here's the funny thing. At the time we had just made up these monster hunter hats. And to hand out. And so there are these bright green Monster Hunter hats. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah, those? I remember those, yeah. So I'm looking around this room. There's about a hundred person room. Uh-huh. And probably 75 people in this room are wearing my hat. <laughs> okay. So give you an idea what the audience it, is like. Was, so, um, so is this, a, so this was, this was pretty early on, right? This is probably. Like 2011-ish. Yeah, probably 2011, 2012. Okay, right in there. Yeah. Okay. So I had at the time like five or six books out. I think maybe 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 four. I think you had three or four. Three or four. But I think you were under contract for 10. Yeah, like 10, 10 12 books. But I yeah. also had, at the point I'd also had my first New York Times bestseller. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And because Monster Hunter Alpha was actually a huge hit mm-hmm. and sold extremely well. Yeah. And so, but I'm on this panel with this professor and- it starts out about, and so like I said, 75% of the audience was Larry Korea fans. I mean, I, I knew, I mean, they're all wearing my hats and, and we're, we're having, I'm having a good time. And she starts out though. And the first thing she wants to do is define urban fantasy. And she also, she was not the moderator. She just kind of appointed herself moderator because she was the smartest and best of us because she had gone to college at like NYU. It's always NYU, I swear. And she starts going on about, let's define urban fantasy. And she starts talking about urban fantasy and you can just see the audience dying. Then she gets, why is it urban fantasy? Well, that's because people know the cities are more interesting. 
And the country, that's right. the country is kind of dumb and people I in the country just aren't this. as educated or as interesting. So really the magic is in the cities. Oh yeah. I remember this. You remember this one? Yep. And so I'm sitting there taking- I was in this one. You were in there? Okay. So I kept trying to talk and I'd start to talk and she'd cut me off. Yep. And I start to talk and the professor would cut me off. And it, everything she was saying was wrong and stupid. Mm-hmm. And I made it like 30 minutes into this panel and I was getting slowly angrier and angrier. Panels are only 50 minutes. Yeah. So we're over halfway through yeah. and she has not shut up with telling this. And basically if anybody went there for writing advice, she would have ruined their career if oh, they sure. listened to her. And it was all very derogatory. And so I finally, I couldn't take anymore. And I stop her and I go, wait, 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 wait. Have you ever, because you're describing the country. Have you ever been to the country? And she goes, well, I've been to Danbury, Connecticut. And I <laughs> started to laugh and I go, Connecticut would fit in my yard. <laughs> and I, and at that point, the, the people, I did not literally flip the table, but the people in the audience called it my table flip yeah. because I then launched into one of the most entertaining tirades of my entire life. As I, 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 I cut her off. I'm like, listen, lady, I have sold more books today than you've sold in your life and everything you said is crap and it's stupid and it's super insulting to these guys who are the audience. And at that point, the audience is like, yeah, the audience went wild. <laughs> the audience went just completely crazy. Oh, gosh. Uh, oh that was a great panel. <laughs> I think, I think at the same, at the same one, I, there was a panel that Tony Weisskopf was giving, talking about the state of science fiction and why why there, why there is a drop in sales in terms of science fiction. And these bore people, just boredom, boredom, boredom people were talking about, well, it's just because of the people's overall intelligence is lower now and, and, and crap like that. And Tony's like, nah, that's not true. That's garbage. Because Tony's Tony. And she's it something to the effect of, no, nah, that's not right at all. It's because people don't write entertaining stories. They're too busy trying to shove their own intellectual crap onto a story. Instead of thinking about characters and plot. And like, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, hello, Tony Weisskopf. Nice oh, to meet man. you. I love when academics collide with people who actually are successful storytellers. Uh, it's very rare that you have someone who is actually truly an academic who is also a good storyteller. I can oh, count yeah. on my fingers, probably. No. Chuck Gannon. <laughs> uh, I mean, Alistair Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, we're not, um, we're kind of, Yeah. I mean, yeah. And all those guys are more, I think they're just really good storytellers who happen to be academics. I, I think that's legit. Kind of like we're accountants that happen to be really good storytellers. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so, but basically what, what, my, getting, what I'm getting out of that story is this professor went into this panel with certain expectations of who she was relative to the rest of us, as in she was smarter than us mm-hmm. and more accomplished than us because she went to college for 40 years. Um, whereas the rest of us were stupid because we, you know, we'd only sold hundreds of thousands of books hmm. at the time. So obviously she knew it because country people are just kind of slow. Uh-huh. Never kind mind. Kind of dim Never mind your quote unquote urban fantasy also, was set know? in rural Alabama. Yeah. My, I know. That's why I hate, that's why I hate, that's why I hate genre terms. It's set in yeah. rural Alabama. Why is it urban fantasy? Because the bookstore stuck it there. Yeah. But I learned that Danbury, Connecticut was basically a, a place of terrifying rednecks, which is funny because I went to Danbury, Connecticut once and it was just kind of like, eh. I mean, there was a Dunkin' Donuts. It was nice, but 
<laughs> it's just kind of this town. And I'm like, most, I live in a place. Most overrated donuts on the planet. I've lived in a place where there are like 10 times as many cows as there are people mm. in a, in a county that doesn't have a stoplight. Yeah. And this lady's telling me about like the country is so scary because I've been to Danbury, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, it was like for summer, you know, like visited relatives or something. I don't yeah. know. But when you go to the panel, the, the key is know what you know. Yeah. Be proud of what you know, mm-hmm. but but also understand that other people have other beliefs and don't be a dork. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Larry's Larry's example there's fairly extreme, I'll say. Oh, yeah. That's, that was the, that, well, honestly, because um, it's a funny story. Was, yeah. That's how odd that was. Mm-hmm. In general, um, when I get on panels, there, there's a few things you need to recognize. One, there's not everyone in the audience is there to see you. Which means a few things. One, don't talk about yourself the whole time. Oh, yeah. Okay? And don't, and not every question uh, needs to be answered with a reference from one of your books. That's, yeah. Okay. So okay. there's, there's a thing guys where if you, if you come off as a try hard, yep. there's a stink of desperation. Mm-hmm. So like if you, okay. So it, like a power move is when you're on a panel and at the beginning, everybody introduces themselves and, and. I've done this before where like, there's like, it's going down the line and everybody's given like the most inflated resume you've ever heard. I have, I was a spy I did, for, oh my God, the spy. you know, and uh, spy tip mind. of the spear. Tip of the spear, perched like a falcon like in the, the falcon. <laughs> in the, the global war on terror. No. Uh, not, that, not that anyone would ever say that. Oh yeah. Well, all right. Never. <clears throat> what a dork. But um, if you're going through and you come off as a tryhard and you're desperate and all you do is flog your book, flog, 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 flog. It'll put people off. Yeah. It makes you look really bad. It just, I, there's a stink about it. I was on a panel recently talking about, um, writing antagonists and for the most part, great panel. And, 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 and this is not the only time this has happened to me. Uh, been on a panel talking about various subjects. Um, this one specifically happened to be about antagonists and, you know, the moderator was doing a pretty good job asking questions and stuff. Um, the moderator decided to, to toot his own horn a little bit, um, which a little bit here and there I'm fine with, but every time the question, you know, he would ask the question, we'd all answer. He talked about, you know, one of the, the questions was, Steve, who's your favorite antagonist? One of your favorite antagonists. And I talked about Colonel, uh, Colonel Landa. Oh in, yeah. Yeah. In Glorious Bastards. Who inspired us. For who inspired Christmas. us. Now here's the funny thing. I said this, I said, oh, you know, I said, look, the rest of the movie, not my favorite, but that opening, I think it's like a 20 minute monologue effectively. One of my favorite things ever. Yeah. Power scene. Um, I, I love, I love what it is because the, the antagonist is not, um, he's not like in your face, hyper aggressive, you know, super alpha in, in a physical sense, but he's way smarter and he's menacing because of the, because he know because of his knowledge and stuff. Yeah. Very interesting. And he does wield immense power because of who he is in the position he holds. So I'm talking about that. What I did not say was, and by the way, in my <laughs> new book, Servants of Wood, that comes out in like a couple of weeks or whatever, um, it's the best thing is since ever's. So I didn't say that. I just talked about why I liked that villain or that antagonist. You know, go down the line, everyone says it, and then, and then it goes back to the moderator. And before answering the question, or before asking another question, he talks about his favorite antagonist 
and it happens to be one of the ones from his own books. And I'm like, come on, son. Like, yeah. Like, first of all, I know that's not true. Like, if your own creation is your favorite, like, antagonist or protagonist, yeah. come on. You're I mean, not fooling anyone. Yeah. I mean, we talk about our own work on this show a lot because it's what we're intimately familiar with. Yeah. But there's a difference between... Well, and we're giving it context in a larger conversation. Yeah, because when people are asking me, my, my favorite antagonist, and we, we've, we've talked about this before, and I started talking about the call it friendo scene. Oh, yeah. You know, from No Country for Old Men. Right. With Anton. Yeah. yeah. And so, so once again, this is, neither one of us has anything to do with the work we've done ourselves. But, I mean, yeah. The flogging, not professional. If you... Here's one thing I'm doing. I've tried to explain to people... If your personality is such, and this goes back to the authors who sh- to promote and shouldn't, <laughs> if your personality is a kiss of death, the last thing you want to do is put yourself out there and sound like a sad sack. We've talked about this on social media presence yeah. too. But if you are like, oh, woe is me, everything's doomed, I'm Eeyore, we're all going to die, no one wants to read your books because they're going to think, wow, this guy's depressing on yep. the internet. Why would I want to read his book? Now, conversely, if you're the guy or gal, whatever, on the panel, that uh, that is constantly, you know, uh, pretty excited about the various topics and the questions. Um, you smile a lot. You, uh, you know, I what I end up doing is I I try to make co- eye contact with various people around the 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 um, the crowd there, the audience there, and and I'll even point at them and, and ask them like a really quick question, like while I'm in the in the middle of something, I'll be like, oh, you, uh, like like one of our favorite questions that we ask in panels is, um, it's like, okay, what do you uh, it, it's the writer's block question. Like, what, what, what's your day job? And they're like, oh, I'm an engineer. I'm like, okay. What happens if you go to your boss and you say, I've got engineering, engineering block today? Yeah, you get fired. So, you know, you, you, you start engaging the audience a little bit. And, and when, you, when you talk from a position of strength, um, where you have knowledge and where, you, um, where you're excited about the topic, knowledge plus excitement is contagious. Yeah. And when you start having those conversations and you're, you're answering things that way, you don't need to talk about your own stuff because then suddenly you've become the author that the people in the audience go, huh, yep. this guy's really interesting. I, if, if what he is saying right now, if any small measure of that is in his or her actual fiction, I need to read that. And to, to my point from the last one, you'll become the author that the other people follow from panel to panel. Yep. And that's actually pretty freaking cool. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've developed a lot of fans that way where they heard me speak in it, some sort of writing thing. And they're like, and it's a, it's a combination of enthusiasm and knowledge and entertaining. Cause if you're entertaining in person, they're going to think, oh, well, okay, this guy is entertaining in person and he's a writer. Well, clearly his writing is probably even more entertaining than he's Cause he's a writer. He's not a speaker. Again, mine and Larry's rule is the, the one rule we have is be freaking entertaining in your yep. writing, right? Oh, yeah. So I, this it's the one, same. It's the same thing on panels. One of the you worst are your brand I've ever seen. Oh. So do your job. Because you were talking about the energy vampire, but there was a pan. There's a popular panel at uh, a lot of cons where it's it's kind of become a tradition now, where it's the uh, writer wives panel or writer oh, yeah. spouse panel, uh-huh. where what it is is uh, and this is actually because a lot of people come to the, a lot of writers come to the cons and they drag their sp- non writer spouse with them. Yeah. So they start, and actually it was uh, Sharon Weber, I think, is who started this tradition uh, at various cons, where Sharon would get other spouses of writers and they would have a panel and most of the audience would be made up of the 
the spouses who had been drug along. It's like, okay, so you guys live with the creative. How do you deal with it? Uh, you know, this is the, this is all they call it the care and feeding of authors panel. And my wife is actually way better panelist than me. Bridget's super charismatic, very, very charming lady. Um, so she gets drafted for this panel constantly. So a couple of years ago, there was a panel where it was Bridget and Sharon and a few other people. And I, I don't want to name them because I won't be able to nail down who this person is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this one writer spouse on the panel uh, who was also a creative, um, though her creativity, creativity had been stymied beneath the needs of her husband. And so what happened, it would be like... Sharon would talk and it was just great and funny and the audience is engaged and then Bridget would talk and everybody laugh and have a good time. And then the other guys would talk and there was, there was a a very famous author's husband was there and he was funny, great guy. And then he would get back to this woman who was a struggling artist herself, trapped in the shadow of her husband's brilliance. Yet there are times where he wouldn't talk to her for three or four days because he was depressed with his work. And then she'd say something to him. And it would unlock something. And then he'd be like, oh, I know how to solve this problem. And he'd just get up and leave. And he wouldn't talk to me for another day. But that was okay. Because I knew he was working. <laughs> and it was, I can't even, I can't even make it sad enough. Like, I'm not, I'm too optimistic a human being to, to, to portray the sadness. And I was sitting in the audience for this. And every time she would talk, I would just watch Bridget and Sharon. Just kind of like, oh my gosh. It was like the worst thing that was the single worst panel I've ever been to as far as just pure sadness and and it was just awful <laughs> oh man oh but, but 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 guys and gals out there like imagine imagine going to a panel and seeing one of your favorite authors be this way because there are plenty of them out there that do this oh gosh there... look look Larry's a natural extrovert I'm actually not um, I'm, yeah, you got to work I'm, at it. I'm a, I'm, I'm actually pretty insular and, and introverted, but this, this is all learned behavior because there's no room in my opinion. And there's a lot of people who disagree, but in my opinion, there's no room for being an introvert. If, if I want to do what I'm doing, there's yeah. not room for it. I mean, once you're like famous, famous and you've sold a million books and you never want to talk to anybody again, you're yeah, fine. Whatever. But you know, it, you know, the chances of me getting there within the next several years are, are lower than crap. Especially if you don't hustle and exactly. don't go out there and work it and talk to people. So, you know, you, you have to do this. Um, I mean, I, Larry and I have been to some of these, these conventions where we're standing next, literally standing next to each other for 12 hours a day, three days in a row. And then, you know, we'll go back to the hotel, go oh, crash. Man, just And, and I just, you know, I just need to be in a, I just need to be alone. Remember I that just, one time you had that really bad snoring problem? Yeah. Before you got your nose surgery right. and I almost murdered you and uh-huh. left your body in the desert? Exactly. Because <laughs> you snored so bad that whole night that I didn't sleep at all. And next morning I was like, Steve, you're so lucky you lived through the night. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh. Dude. That was, uh. That was World Fantasy. Well, yeah, it was World Fantasy. Yeah, San Diego. We crashed it. it was I right almost I got that job. I almost suffocated you with a pillow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now the good the good news is for everyone worried out there. I did get a nose surgery. Um, my septum was ninety nine percent deviated to one side. So well, there was breathe. four of us in that room though, and all three of us like laughed throughout four, the night. Four or five. There was a lot. We of packed there. a lot of dudes, and we were poor back then. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing better. Usually I'm not the guy snoring in the room now. Now it's someone else. Yep. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The, um, 
when you go to these conventions, um, you, you, especially as a professional, you have to act like you're the professional. Um, and, and you have to, uh, put off the airs, I guess, that you're, that you're happy to be there. Even if you're not, um, there's a lot of fake it till you make it with some of this stuff. Um, everyone has bad days and a lot of times cons are freaking exhausting. They're very tiring. You have no idea how tiring it is to go to a convention until you've, until you've done it. Being mentally switched on and, and energetic and talking to people For all day days. is actually very tiring. Well, and, and again, it's not just, as we talked about in the other one, it's not just the, the proper, the convention proper itself. It's, it's bar con you know, dinner con, whatever, after the fact. Well, for me, um, now that I don't, I don't have to network as much now. And so for mm -hmm. me, it's a little more relaxing in the evening. I can just chill out with my friends. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was younger, is a lot of hustle. You know, I grew up on a dairy farm. I know what hard labor is. And I'll tell you, some of the most tired I've ever been has been book tour. Yeah. Because it's just, you are switched on. Like you are like 110% yeah. mental focus talking to hundreds of people. It's just boom, 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 boom for day after day after day. And it, it, uh, it is very tiring. You know, that I, I think the attitude is everything and it's super important. Um, and what I like to say a lot, and, and I say this in a professional capacity too, not just, not just book stuff, but like your, your professions in real life. Um, it costs you nothing to be professional. Um, a lot of crap is going to get thrown your way. Um, you know, what we, we can talk about the, you know, the, the, the insaneness that I dealt with it at Worldcon in 2013 at some point. Um, people literally treating me like I was trash at a professional convention oh, yeah. where I was there because I was nominated for the freaking award. Yeah. And it would have been very easy for me to, you know, just middle fingers everywhere, right? I've got two of them. I know how to use them. But man, it, but again, it costs nothing to be professional. And so as long as you take that attitude and you, you approach that professionalism with cheerfulness, I think. Not only are you not going to, you know, you're, you're not going to say something that you'll regret later. But in addition to that, you actually are going to start winning fans. Um, a lot of people, when you're that, like, like Larry and I keep saying, those cheerful people, those cheerful authors and stuff on the panels, those are the guys you like. You start following them around. You start reading their stuff. Um, you're excited when they talk about new things that they're coming out with. And, and then, you know, sometimes you, you pull a Dave Butler, well, you know, a, a young Dave Butler, you go buy him, you know, people come buy his sandwiches and, and you start meeting them and, you know, you make See, these I can't connections. Eat the sandwiches anymore. There's too many poisoned ones now. Well, you gotta be careful. <laughs> um, none of them are from me, although that's usually how I roll. You know, one note, well, okay, this is a weird thing too, but we gotta, we should address this because there's some weird, weird, weird politics involved in these cons. And there's also some really weird, vengeful people. So one thing I would recommend, uh, have a wingman. Always have a wingman. Have a wingman. This sounds, sound, you guys no. are thinking this sounds crazy. No, 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 no We no, are no, not no, lying. No. We this are serious. not lying because having a wingman has literally saved Larry a couple times. Yep. Because. And, and I was the wingman. There are psychotic liars. The more famous you get, inevitably, the more you're going to infuriate people. You're going to offend somebody. And those mm -hmm. people are vindictive and horrible. So if you're going to professional events like this, where those kind of people are going to be there too. Which is all of them. Many of them are horrible liars. Yeah. And they will accuse you of all sorts of crazy crap. So whenever I go to these things, I always, always, always have a person with me. 
Yep. Uh, that way I have, I have a witness. It's often my wife, yep. family members, uh, or, you know, a lot of times Steve has or been me. my wingman. Yeah. Um, because there are a lot of weird, and we've known writers who have done nothing wrong, who have been, we actually have one, I and mean, it was funny because the squishy you are, the more likely you are to attract this sort of thing. So, so a, a writer we know who's pretty squishy, he's very, he, he has all the right politics. So you'd think they'd leave him alone. But, um, some woman one time accused him of sexual harassment at a writer event. Yeah. We all knew that was crap. Which we, everybody who knew the guy was like, what? Yeah. No, we, the none only, of us, nobody believed The it. only person that guy sexually harassed was me and it was consensual. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is though, he immediately rolled over and apologized. I go, oh, if I did this, I was so sorry. I don't remember. It must've been on accident. No, but a couple of days later, the woman, anonymous, by the way. Assuming it was a woman. Uh, yeah, who knows? It's the internet. Retracted her thing and said, well, I'm sorry. I just made that up because I was caught up in the moment of hashtag me too. And I wanted to raise awareness. So, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You psychopath. You almost... Ruined this. You tried to ruin this man's name and ruin his career. Well, for kicks and giggles. And there were a couple authors that did get ruined. Yep. At that point in time, who did nothing wrong? Well, who knows? Because once again, they didn't have a wingman. So, guys, professionally speaking, the more famous you are, the more important this is. Have backup. Yep. Yep. You know. You, you, oh man. Yeah. You've got it. You've. You have to protect yourself at these things. Um, now, good news. Um, most panels are recorded these days. Yes. That saved my bacon once. Yeah, which saved your bacon once. Well, and, and I was in that one too. Very interesting. So I'll tell that story real fast. So one time I was, um. Gen Con. Gen Con. You understand guys, the more you, people who don't know who I am are probably thinking that this sounds crazy, but the more people you offend, the more people who are going to be out to get you and they will yeah. lie. They will lie, cheat and steal. They're horrible people. They just are. But one time this, uh, famous author. Fame, well, relatively in certain social justice circles, famous author got onto the internet and- Read, uh, read not famous at all. Yeah, i.e. not famous at all. Got on, well, they want her to be a big thing. Mm. They got on, her marketing budget's got to be 10 times mine. It's got to be frustrating for them. When you, when you couch surf your way through life, you save money that way. Well, so she gets on Twitter and she goes, I heard a rumor that Larry Correa was horribly rude and racist to an author of color at Gen Con. At a panel or, or during a panel at Gen Con. And so somebody forwarded this to me because obviously I don't run in the same social circles as this woman. And I was like, what? And I'm trying to, and, and so my first thought, as an honest person, I was like, my first thought was like thinking back of the panels I'd been so on crap. there last time. And I'm like, did, did I make who a, was did, I? I was did, like, was did, I, did, did I, I make, make a, a comment? Did I make a joke or would I say yeah. something insensitive? Or I was drawing a blank. I was drawing a total and complete blank. Well, here's the kicker though. Every single panel is recorded. So. I'm, in fact, I even went back to the schedule and you know, and they're like, author of color. The only author of color I had been on a panel with was a guy who I like. Maurice. He's a great guy. Maurice yeah. brought us as a good writer, a great freaking, guy. Freaking I, great guy. I actually hired him to write a story for me for the Monster Hunter anthology. Uh -huh. He's a talented dude. Great dude. And, and I, I don't think I've ever said anything to Maurice that was off color. I mean, I like the guy. He's a nice no, dude. No, every Gen Con, we end up chilling and hanging out for a little bit. Catching yeah, because he's, he's a local. Because he's awesome. Uh, he, yeah, he's from there. Yeah. And so I couldn't think of who in the world. So I tweeted her back and I said, hi, this is Larry. Luckily for us, every single panel at Gen Con is recorded. Tell us which panel this was and let's review the evidence. Yep. She immediately freaked out and blocked me. She's like, oh my gosh, how dare you? And all her little harpies were like, oh, I, that was, I, oh, you're so stunning and brave. I can't believe he came here and menaced you. 
Because because they said, well, look, how about we look at the actual evidence? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's crap. Yeah, guys, that the, was... So that's that's the kind of stuff you guys got to deal with the more famous yeah. you get. But always keep in mind, whether you're traditionally published um, or indie published, and, and, and you might even have to worry about this a smidge more when you're indie published with, with success, is that you are your own brand. And so every time you get up on, in front of a, on a panel and you're talking in front of people... This is active brand management that you're in there. Absolutely. Think about this as a, in a business, okay? You're up there. The things you say are going to be attributed to you and your brand yourself, okay? So think about this. Think about all the, the really cool commercials that, that may, maybe they're a little witty or maybe they're, they're super poignant, but they get the brand message across. And afterwards, you're, you're left thinking, dang, like that's actually pretty cool. You know, like uh, like Doctor Squatch soap. Okay, right? This isn't a, this isn't this normally would be like the ad placement. That's how that led in. That's not what this is. Um, you know, I, I see the commercials. I'm like, that's actually pretty funny and clever. I like what they're doing. I feel squatchy. For I'm like, you I know what? Me. I'm gonna. So so I went out and I bought the soap. Okay, because because that's what you do, right? But if they'd been super condescending and horrible, or they'd been the energy vampires or whatever in their commercials. Or if they had been the Jeep ad starring. If they had been the Jeep the ad. The Jeep ad from the last starring, Super Bowl. Starring Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> then, then you just don't care. Yeah. Right? It's all about brand management. And when you go to a convention as a professional, every freaking moment is active brand management. Now, I say this not as a guy who's LDS. I'm, I'm, I'm LDS. Larry's LDS. You know, we're, we're, we're religiously short. We're religiously sorts. I'm not um, super good at it, but I try. No, no, no. We, we swear far too much for this. But um, what one of the things that I think will save many of you authors out there um, is be very aware of your surroundings and be very aware of what you're doing. When you go out, remember, the convention is not just the convention. It's the convention plus Barcon, the, the publisher parties, you know, all that stuff. And what happens at all those, Larry? They all get drunk. Oh yeah. Right? Now you and I, we don't drink at no. all. Zero. I've actually I've actually when I was younger, I wound up being the designated driver a lot. As as was I. Now, there's been a number of authors, a number of authors, many of which were actually pretty good at what they do. They've been ruined and had their contracts literally dropped because they thought that the best way to comport themselves professionally at a convention was to get sloshy drunk, sloppy drunk, and get real handsy and grabby with other, yep. with other men and women around them. See, cause a lot of, a lot of some of those people, they came up in like the seventies or whatever. It was a little more free love party time and everybody was cool with that. You start doing that crap now and uh, you're toast. Yeah. So guys, it costs you nothing to be professional, but always remember, I mean, if, if you have a little bit of paranoia that someone's out there to get you, that that's probably a little healthy. But manage your brand. Do you want to be known as the smart, intelligent, funny, fun author who's excited about his or her stuff? Or do you want to be known about the author who gets too drunk after the con and Fs around? And start inappropriately hugging everyone. Right? Now, I inappropriately <laughs> hug a lot of people, but in generally, in general, it's consensual. Well, it's usually people you know. Exactly. <laughs> so Who they're into that. <laughs> exactly. So, guys... I, you know, if, if you have any further clarifying questions on this topic, because there's, I know there's a lot of you who are getting to this point where you're starting to get invited places. 
and you have questions and, and you're thinking, well, what do I do? Like, like what, what should I talk about? What should I, what should I do? What should I sell? What should I be? Um, send those questions in. It's cool. We'll, 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 ta- we'll tackle them on a, on a Q&A session because this is a big topic, but it's super, super important. So that's all, we ha- that's all the time we have for you today. This is a little bit longer episode, but we know you love it anyway. So uh, thanks all. Thanks for listening to us. We appreciate it. Take it easy. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. <laughs> Steve's milkshake brings the boys to the yard. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>